some of you folks uh, know me. Um, and uh, if you don't, I'd like to get to know you. Um, say hello after the service. Um, <clears throat> and some of you who do know me know that um, Caroline and I, uh, we built a, a new house a few years ago. Well, uh, that's not exactly true. We, we started building a new house uh, several years ago, and in fact, it's, it's not uh, completely done. It's close, uh, but it is not done. That whole thing was an eventful uh, process. Uh, all of the, the negative experiences that you hear about, um, you know, delays, uh, cost overruns, uh, deceitful contractors, missed deadlines, the whole shooting match, we, we experienced it. And um, it's, it's going to be a very long chapter in my memoir. Um, <clears throat> one of the most challenging parts of, of that process was uh, we were forced to move out of our rental property uh, before the new house uh, was ready. Um, that was in June, July, I think. It was warm, whenever. Um, so uh, at the time, uh, we thought we would actually be able to move into the house in September. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't happen either. So what we did is we, uh, we thought we made what was a pretty savvy decision. Um, and instead of having to move into an apartment or a house and then move again, um, we bought an RV, uh, a trailer, a camping trailer. Um, and we plopped it down on the property and and we lived there, right on our job site. Um, terrific, kind of. Um, things didn't go quite as planned, um, and we were still in that camper trailer um, come the second week of December. Uh, there are two things to understand about that. First is how the plumbing in a camper trailer works. Uh, you know, water supply comes through a garden hose, um, and that garden hose sits on top of, well, in December, the snow. Um, and when water exits the trailer, um, it's collected in a, like a plastic tank that's built up underneath the trailer. So neither end of that water process functions well in, in December, uh, in Maine, in uh, freezing temperatures. Um, you know, the law of sciences just doesn't allow for that to happen. Uh, second problem that we experienced was that it was a pretty cold December. Uh, and the propane furnace in our trailer uh, couldn't keep up. Uh, in fact, uh, at one point, it just gave up altogether. It stopped working, and uh, you can't find a technician to work on your mobile home, your RV trailer, outside the season. I don't know if they all travel somewhere, um, but we couldn't get anybody to, to fix the thing for us. So we ended up trying to heat the, good, the little... Uh, trailer with two small uh, 
uh, very expensive to operate, but not very efficient uh, electric heaters. On, um, on the good nights, we were able to keep the temperature at maybe 45 degrees. So there we were in this uh, little trailer of ours with no uh, running water and, and barely any heat. Uh, when the wind blew, the thing would shake and rock. Um, the uh, bathroom facilities, let's say, were 60 feet away uh, through, at times, what was two feet of snow. It was, the whole thing was less than ideal. Um, but what, it made, what made it, you know, endurable for us um, was that 60 feet in another direction was our new house. Uh, the house we had dreamt about for 10 years, uh, that we had planned for, worked for, that we had hoped for, that we had prayed for. Uh, we could see it right there. Um, in fact, it, it wasn't any longer a dream. It was, it was a reality. Um, we were able to look through the ice-encrusted windows of our trailer um, and look at our, our soon-to-be home, uh, it was a house that was built into a granite foundation with concrete reinforced walls. Um, it's a timber frame, big 10 by 12 beams, um, weatherproof. This house, this forever house was going to be there uh, forever. And it was as close to perfect as, as we could imagine, and it was right there. We, we knew that it was going to happen. So that kind of eased some of the pain of uh, living in the trailer. And that whole illustration is, is just a, a hint of what we're going to see in, in this morning's uh, reading. Um, it's in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 46 that uh, many of you will be familiar with. So if you would... Turn with me now to, uh, to Psalm 46. Um, if you're new to the Bible, the Psalms are, um, they're a collection of prayers that are, are set to music. They're, they're the hymns of the nation of Israel in the, in the ancient Near East. And that's what I find so unreal whenever I, I read the Psalms, um, they are the hymns that were sung by Christ. Um, the late Tim Keller called the Psalms the songs of Jesus. Um, so I will, I will read, not sing, uh, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitant of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There are three things um, that we should see in this passage that we should uh, grasp a hold of and, and internalize and undergird the, the way uh, we approach life here on earth. Um, if you're a lover of outlines, one of which is not printed on the back of your bulletin, um, this is what it would say. Number one, God is in control. Number two, God is with us. And number three, God will be known. So Psalm 46 begins with a, a, a really powerful statement. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our refuge and strength. A, a refuge is a, a, is a place of shelter or protection from danger. You know, it's the space inside the strong city walls or inside the castle gates when an armed enemy attacks outside. It's the, uh, the safe harbor protected by a strong seawall in a coastal town. Um, it's the cinder block tornado shelter in our oldest daughter's home in Texas. Um, a refuge is, is not an insurance policy uh, to be paid after the disaster strikes. It's a guarantee against the, the very disaster. Outside the refuge, the, the wind-blown debris, the, the falling tree could crush you. Or the enemy's weapons could injure or even kill you. But inside the refuge, we're safe from harm. God is not only our refuge, our protection, our, our guarantor. He's also our strength. He's not the, the, the thing that we lean on. He's the very thing that, that holds us up. Um, a similar idea to this is found in Philippians 4, uh, verse 13. And it's uh, probably one you're familiar with. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not ours, but the, but the Lord's strength which allows us to succeed. It, it's easy for us, you know, maybe even human nature, for us to think that, that God has, has contributed to our strength, that he has increased our strength, that he was the, the tipping point 
between success and failure, between safety and disaster. But, but that's wrong. Uh, this verse from Philippians 4 that I just read and the one from Psalm 46 tells us that all our strength comes from the Lord. And that's um, and that's an important point. It's a it's a point that 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 the Lord points out to us in in Judges seven. You don't have to to go there, and I'm not going to read it. Um, that's where Gideon and thirty two thousand Israelites were were set for battle against the Midianite army. Um, it was a a, a big army. Um, there's not a number given, uh, but this is what Judges says about it. It says that they, the Midianites, the enemy, were as thick as locusts, and that their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. So it's 32,000 against grains of sand on the seashore. But God said to Gideon, nope. There's too many of you. If I let you win this battle with 32,000, um, you might say, hey, look how strong we are, right? Um, you'll take credit for the victory. So God says to Gideon, send some of your people home. 22,000 of them left. So now there's 10,000. 10,000 against a swarm of locusts, against sand pebbles on the seashore. Once more, God told Gideon, uh-uh, still too many of you. So it ended up being 300 against the Midianite army, 300 against the grains of sand on the seashore. And in the end, the way the story ends, the Israelis didn't even get to swing a sword. All they had to do was <clears throat> all they had to do was blow on a trumpet and yell. And the Midianite army quit. They actually turned on each other and then they fled. So all the Israelites had to do was blow on a trumpet and scream. It was God's strength that gave Israel that victory. God doesn't increase our strength. God is our strength. So jump over the last couple of words there in verse 1 and see what verse 2 says. It says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. A little scary, right? Uh, could be the scene from a disaster movie. Scenes where, uh, you know, an earthquake hits and half a city block falls into the hole. Or, uh, you know, the, the whole cliffside on the California coast falls into the ocean. 
It's not something that we see a lot. Um, it is, there was, by the way, um, a movie called Earthquake, um, 1974, Charlton Heston. Um, for you younger folks, most famous for playing Moses in the Ten Commandments. Um, or a tidal wave crashing onto the shore, wiping out towns and, and villages. And we don't need a movie for that, right? You can go online and you can see what happened in Thailand in, in 2004 or in Japan in 2011. It's horrifying. These things do happen. And they cause great pain and great suffering. But so do lesser things. The unexpected loss of a job is not insignificant to the person who loses the job or to that person's family. The sudden death of a friend creates a, a real sense of emptiness and loss. Caroline and I learned a few months ago that a heart attack, however minor, brings certain uncertainties. Whether catastrophic natural disasters, long-term life-changing circumstances, or the minor speed bumps we all face in our lives, verse 2 reminds us that we have a refuge. We have a safe place. It says, therefore, we will not fear. The Lord doesn't tell us that he will prevent tragedy or challenge. In fact, he tells us that we will face both of those things during our Christian life. Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 14, 27 all have the same account. Reading from Matthew. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. Pick up that heavy, rough, painful chunk of wood, drag it wherever I go, but follow me. That's not a picture of a worry-free, painless, sunshine-filled trip, is it? That's not the, the average Christian walk. Um, we suffer. We deal with tragedy and loss. And, and that's, the, that's the detestable lie of the false prosperity gospel preachers, that Christ died so that we can be healthy and wealthy. Christ's promise is not of a smooth, untroubled journey. His promise is of an inconceivably glorious destination. Let me read the first seven uh, verses again. So listen for the detail that's repeated three times. Hint, it was number two on the outline not printed on your bulletin. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Did you catch it? In verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 5, God is in her midst. And verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Three times we hear God's promise to be close by. Who got it right? Didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, did you? Um, God is not just present. He is very present. God is in our midst. The, the Lord is with us. That's pretty encouraging, right? God is among us right now. On Tuesday, when, when Scott is at his desk in his office in Ellsworth or or Dara is with a patient in an exam room in, in Bangor, or any number of Pearsons is in a classroom anywhere. <laughs> God is with every one of them. When last week's hurricane blew through Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina, God was there. When you lost your job, your best friend, or your, or your savings account, God was there with you. In May, on a job site in Otis, um, when I had my heart attack, God was there with me. And in December, when I have my back surgery, God will be there too. God will be there with you tonight when you're peaceably asleep. And one night this winter when a howling blizzard, life struggles, or a newborn baby it has you awake at 2 a.m. He will be with you and I on the day we die. He will be with your family on the day you and I die. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But God with us isn't entirely descriptive. It, it doesn't tell the whole story. God isn't just an observer, um, someone we can't see but is sitting in the room with us. This all by itself would be a great comfort. But God isn't just an onlooker, a, 
a spectator or a witness. Jesus Christ, the, the second person of our triune God, has experienced the same things that you and I have. Thirst and hunger, yes and yes. Physical pain, Christ experienced that in spades. Loss, grief, yep, his friend Lazarus. Deceit and betrayal, Judas. Abandonment, isolation, despair, check, check, check. Impending death, well, yeah. Listen to the definition of the word empathy. The capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from within their frame of reference. That is, the capacity to place oneself in another's position. From within their frame of reference. We we might be tempted to diminish what Jesus experienced uh, by thinking that, well, he was God. He know how it would turn out in the end. Ah, wrong. Jesus Christ, although fully God, was also fully man. What he felt was, was real. When you and I get cut, we bleed and it hurts. Jesus bled and it hurt. When you and I worry, we sweat. Jesus sweat blood. You get anxious and sad, Mark 14, 33. And Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. There was once a time um, when if you had suffered in some way, the thing to do was to, to grin and bear it, uh, be stoic about it, tough it out, you know, rub some dirt on it. Uh, we can, I think, agree that uh, just toughing it out isn't, isn't the best solution. Uh, we have available to us today uh, helpful and caring support or recovery groups of folks who have shared that same experience that we have. Um, folks who, who can meet together and, and encourage each other and hold each other up. There are support groups for people who have lost loved ones, support groups for people who have suffered injury or who live with a certain disease, support groups for folks with depression or anxiety. Well, guess what? No matter what you've experienced, what you've suffered, what you're suffering, guess who's in your support group? Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is very present. He is in our midst. The Lord is with us. <clears throat> when, um, 
when I was writing this sermon, I promised myself and Caroline uh, that I would not be as long-winded as, as usually I am. Um, I told her that I would uh, keep the manuscript. Um, I write a manuscript. Uh, it's amazing to me that Pastor Matt has an outline. That's all he's got is notes, and he preaches from it. I'm not sure how he does it. It's... Uh, it's supernatural. Anyway, um, I told Caroline uh, that I'd quit at about 2,500 uh, written words. Um, I don't know how long I've been talking this morning, uh, but I do know that as I was typing these words, the, the, the word count on the bottom of my document read 2,488. Um, so... I'm going to skip to the end of the uh, the end of our passage this morning, uh, and that's not to say that what I'm uh, what I'm leaving out is uh, unimportant. All of Scripture is valuable and should be read and studied and prayed on. Um, so I would encourage you to later on this afternoon or during a quiet time later in the week reread. Uh, Psalm 46, uh, go online and read commentaries about it. Listen to sermons that have been preached. Um, lots of lots of good stuff out there. Um, you could even go to graceforme.com. Um, and May, I think, of uh, 2020, you could listen to the sermon that uh, Pastor Scott Daniel preached on Psalm 46. May 2020, we were, as a world and as a church, just two or three months into the pandemic. So, verse 10, and number three on the outline not printed in your bulletin. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. <clears throat> I knew a pastor who was fond of saying that, that everyone will believe in God during their lifetime or immediately thereafter. And he's right. God reveals himself to, to those who seek him. And then he judges those who don't. God reveals himself to those who seek him. Listen to this familiar verse from Jeremiah 29. It's verse 11. Um, as I was writing the sermon, um, I, I, I don't have an office in our new house, that's one of the things that um, hasn't been completed. Um, so I write and read and study at the kitchen table. And, and on the wall, just above um, my shoulder, uh, there's a plaque with this verse. It's uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
God is in control of our lives, right? He is in control of all of creation. But then in verse 13, just down the page, perhaps less familiar, it says this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God isn't hiding. He isn't playing a game of hide and seek. He wants to be found. And not just found, but found. God wants to be known. He wants us to know him like he knows us. But that takes effort on our part. A survey by the Pew Research Center in 2017 found that <coughs> excuse me found that 56% of Americans professed faith in God as described in the Bible 56% of Americans uh, professed faith in God as described in the Bible yet in May of this year just 3 or 4 months ago another survey showed that only 30% of Americans say they attend a church, synagogue, mosque, or temple weekly. Uh, when you count only those attending a, a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, which the survey didn't do, but if you only count those folks, the percentage is way smaller. Now, weekly church attendance isn't the only indicator of receiving faith right? But, but it's something. The point is that there are people who know who God is or, or think they do, and there are people who know God. Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Then I will tell the others plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we are called to seek after God with all of our heart. Not just some of it, not just most of it, but all of our heart. I confess that I don't do that. If you asked... I don't know, 20 people who know me in some capacity <clears throat> to describe me, uh, you'd get lots of, of different descriptions. Um, some might say I'm a, I'm a fair cook. Um, others would call me um, a carpenter with limited abilities. Um, I hope one or two of those people would say that I'm, I'm a good dad or a good husband. <clears throat> a few might call me generous or kind. And there would surely be some who would say less positive things. Um, but how many of people, of, that, of those 20 people would say, boy, that Bud Cushman, there's a guy who seeks after God with all his heart. the percentage would be small if there was any at all. And that convicts me 
um, I confess that I don't seek after God with all my heart all the time. And maybe you don't either. Here's an idea. Maybe we should start a support group for folks who don't seek after God with all their heart. Oh, wait. We already have, right? It's called the local church. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Once again, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. People, God will be known. You and I will know him. The whole world will know him. The only question for us, for the people we love, for everyone in his creation, is when we know him. If you're here this morning and you don't know quite how to answer that question for yourself, um, find uh, Pastor Scott after the, after the church service. Talk with me. Talk with anybody here at Grace. My word count is now 3,335, so I'll stop. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we confess that Oftentimes, maybe even most of the time, seeking after you is, is not our priority. We confess, Lord, that at times we feel lonely. We feel apart from you. We feel neglected. Forgive us, Father, for forgetting uh, your word, your promise to be with us always. Forgive us, Father, for allowing ourselves to think we're on our own. Father, convict us. Change our hearts. Cause us to seek after you with, with all of our hearts. Father, cause us to know, to understand, and to live our lives like you are our refuge. Father, help us to know that 
you are in control that that your plan is better than our plan. Humble us, Lord, so that we may love you more. Father, we pray for, for family and friends and co-workers. Indeed, we pray for everyone on this wor- world, Lord, who, who does not know you. We pray, Father, that you will make yourself known among the nations, that you will be exalted. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your Son and our precious risen Lord Jesus. Amen.